our sermon is the single most important practice of faith. Now, I know most of you probably have an answer for what this already is, but I'm hoping to to surprise you, I, I hope, if it's something that, that's maybe a little bit different than you're used to. But in order for us to get a full picture of what the single most important practice of faith is, there is a couple of pictures that I want to show you um, to help to set the, the tone and the understanding of, of the message. By raise of hands, uh, maybe I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to ask, how many of you are Adventists here this morning? If you're not, don't worry, you're fine. Yeah, most of you are, okay. So, apologies in advance before I show you what I'm about to show you. <laughs> if you're our guest, you won't get it, and that's okay. Oh, I think I pushed the wrong button. Okay, now. This is a steak. Don't worry, if it's a little offensive, there's some asparagus in the back or green beans. <laughs> And some other stuff. I was reading, and I, I'm not I'm not much of a cook. Um, I, I can cook the very basic things like pasta and chicken and ground beef. I guess I don't know. I can make the things that are frozen, and I know how to heat them up really well. So I did some research, and I found that in order for uh, a steak to marinate a steak really well, or a tri-tip or flank steak or whatever kind of steaks, I don't didn't realize there was so many different kinds. Um, but there's all sorts of different kinds of steaks. And it says that to marinate a steak, it takes anywhere from two on the low side to tw- up to 24 hours, maybe even more. So a really good, juicy, good flavored steak is going to take some time to sit in its marinade, whatever that marinade is. Chicken sitting in marinade, I, I was reading, and it says that it can take anywhere from two days to, I mean, two hours to up to three days. I don't know if that's true. I'm just, you know, if it says it on Google, it's true. <laughs> but if, if you're of neither of the persuasion of steak or chicken, and you like tofu, I have that for you too. Um, it says a minimum, you can do it for up to, a minimum of like an hour to up to 24 hours if you want your tofu to taste really, really good. <laughs> if <it's laughs> I, it tastes pretty good, I guess, I don't know. It's okay. Everybody, hey, we like different things. And if that's not your flavor, then maybe potatoes. Marinating potatoes is also an option. Um, and it says that, and all I found was it varies. <laughs> so you can, you can marinate your potatoes for as long as possible. Some of you are thinking, like, what in the world is this guy doing up there? He's a fool. That's not how long it takes to marinate. <laughs> the single most important practice of faith is how well you allow the word to marinate in your soul. So maybe you don't eat meat, maybe you don't eat tofu, but you get the point of where I was trying to go. The entire point of the service, of the sermon this morning, the entire point of this teaching is that the single most important practice of faith is to allow the word of God to marinate in your soul. It'll be the single most important thing you do. Now, what do I mean by that? We're going to get to that. That's the right question to ask. So here's where I want to go. John chapter 15, verse 1. And this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. This is Jesus trying to teach his disciples as much as he can before he goes to his death. And Jesus says this to them, I am the true vine. Now, for most of us, we we don't get juice from a vine, do we? Where do we get our juice from? 
the store. <laughs> Sorry. What we drink, we go to any one of the hundreds of stores that is all around us, and we buy it. So when we think of I am the true vine, unless you're into grapes and vines and all that stuff, it, it really is like that's, that's another one of those reasons why I don't like to go to church because the way the Bible is written doesn't make sense for me in 2013, right? This is one of those passages that it's just like, okay, I don't really know where Jesus is going with this. And that's okay because that's what I'm here for. That's what I get paid the big bucks for, to help to break this down for you. Jesus takes a concept from the Old Testament. Remember, when Jesus is preaching, when Jesus is teaching, he is using the entire Old Testament as his basis and understanding to teach people about who Jesus is, who he is, and who God is. So every New Testament book always has, for the most part, has a reference to something that was written in the Old Testament. So Jesus simply takes the vine, something about a vineyard, and he takes it because he understands or he knows that instantly all of the people who are hearing him is go, are going to understand this analogy that he's about to make. So let me just give you a quick background. Remember, there are three things that a sermon must do. None of you remember what they are, so here's what they are, because I just said them last week. Number one, a sermon, when I'm writing a sermon, I want to draw you to the person of who Jesus is. So first and foremost, that's the most important thing. The second aspect of a sermon is that it should call you to action, right? So it's not, you're not just here to get filled up with God's word. You're here or to get a good laugh because obviously I'm so funny, but it's so that it will call you to action. That was a joke, by the way, call you to action. And number three, the third thing that a sermon should do is that it should give you language for how you understand and interact with the world. So what that means is that the scriptures that we read and the sermons are supposed to help you to see the world in a different way. So it's a paradigm shift. And the question we want to ask is, what is God teaching me? And how do I then incorporate that into the world that is around me? The reason I say that is because this, this Old Testament background that I'm going to give you is going to take like a minute and a half, but it's going to help us to understand um, this, this, this teaching a little bit deeper. So in the Old Testament, whenever somebody was referred, when, when, when we talk about the vine or the vineyard, it was actually talking about the nation of Israel. All right, so in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people to be his witness to this world, that was the vineyard. And here's a passage that shows us. It says, restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a what? A vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. So they are referring to themselves as this vineyard, and God is the caretaker. Here's another passage. And now, inhabitants of Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there, for, what more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I expected it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I tell you what I will do to my vineyard. <laughs> This is kind of sad. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its walls, and it shall be trampled. This is just an example that in the Old Testament, whenever we refer to a vineyard, it's referring to the people of God. So why am I saying this? Because in John chapter 15, Jesus changes the entire landscape of how things would be. It's no longer you are the vineyard, but he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine grower. So Jesus changes all of the burden on the Israelites to be perfect, and Jesus now brings it on himself, and he says, I am the one that will give you life. There is nothing else that will give you life. In essence, it is a 
game changer. How many of you know what a game changer is? I'll tell you exactly what it is. It's last Thursday night. The, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the Super Bowl uh, bound Denver Broncos. That means they're going to win the championship. You heard it here first. I'm not a prophet. Just saying. There was one play in the game where the quarterback, the guy that has the ball, throws it to the guy that catches the ball and trying to make a touchdown, for those of you who don't know. And the guy who caught the ball, he caught the ball and it was first down or something. I don't remember. But he didn't really catch the ball. It happens. It hit the ground before he, he, he fell to the ground, but no one saw it. And we saw it on the replays, but the team didn't challenge it, so it means that it counted as a catch. And, you know, he knew he didn't catch it, but in sports, you don't, you know, you're not honest when it comes to that. I mean, it's just the way it is, you know. And that changed the entire tempo of the game. It changed everything. And all of a sudden, all of the, this, this Super Bowl-bound team of the Denver Broncos, they, they now, it ignited a fire in some way because they were down, and they ended up just devouring the Ravens. That was a game changer. All it takes is one thing to make a huge difference. Jesus takes the metaphor of the vine, of a vineyard, And he changes it, he puts it on its head, and he says, where once you were expected to be perfect and great and everything good, he goes, now it's all on me. Jesus changes the the game from Israelites, you have to save yourselves by following every rule and every command, and he says, I have now taken that burden off of you, and I have now put it on myself, and now it is up to me to give you salvation and he says i am the true vine and my father is the vine grower in essence what jesus is saying is true life is only found when it is connected to me a true fulfilling and purposeful and meaningful life can only be found when it is connected to the vine that is jesus i I know that some of you are like that's what the pastor is supposed to say But I can tell you from experience in my very short-lived life that the only true, compelling, and fulfilling life is one where I am connected to Jesus and Jesus alone. If you go to Jesus to find life, you will find it. If you go anywhere else to find your happiness or meaning or life, you will not find it. The, the, The verse would go on to say this, He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it more, bear more fruit. So this almost sounds like it's a judgment text. Like if you don't, if you don't bear fruit, Christians, right? It's like if you don't bear fruit, then God is going to judge you and cut you off from the source of life. When in reality, what is happening is that when we are not connected to the vine, when you have made the decision to not intentionally connect to Jesus, your life will not flourish as much as it actually could. The people who are connected to Jesus, the people who come to Jesus daily, who in essence surrender their life to Christ, will bear more fruit and their life will flourish more than those who don't. Because at the end of the day, at the end of our lives, it's not about how many things we've accumulated or how much money we made or how many possessions we own, but it's about how well we lived our life. The people who are the most wealthy, sometimes we look and we say, I wish my life was like that. But what do we know about people that are extremely wealthy for the most part? They work really 
hard. True? Wealthy people in my congregation? <laughs> people who are wealthy work extremely hard. Life, life isn't about work. Life is about enjoying the moments that we are given with the people that we love the most. It's not about the things that we accumulate. And we can only truly know that if we are connected to Jesus. Because what do we get to take into eternity? Do you get to take your cars? You don't get to, nothing, right? Do you get to take your Bibles? Oh, some of you are like, whoa, pastor. No, probably not. I don't know. I don't know how that works. (laughs) No, you take yourself and you take people. And what you're going to have in heaven, or rather in eternity, which will be on this earth in the renewed sense, is you're just going to have each other. We can begin to experience the fullness of life when we be, like, that's why church is so important and, and amazing, is that we get to get a glimpse of what eternity will be like when we gather together and we worship together and we eat together and we barbecue together and we play games together and, and some of you throw water balloons at everyone together. That's a glimpse of what eternity will be like. And we get a glimpse of that in churches. That's not what we're used to hearing, is it? Why do people say they don't like to go to church? Because why? There are a bunch of hypocrites. And I say, yeah, duh, they're everywhere. (laughs) We're all hypocrites. But church isn't about looking and pointing at what is wrong with others. It's about looking at the very best of one another and saying that we get to be a part of this family of God on this earth. And we get to have one another's backs. And we get to bear one another's burdens. And in church, you know that you will never be alone because you have a hundred other people who will walk under the weight of your burden. And they will walk alongside you until that burden is lifted. So when Jesus says, I am the true vine, every one of you who is here is connected to that vine. And we draw our source of power, our source of courage, our source of fulfillment and meaning from Jesus. And when we learn as a church to do that well, then we begin to feed into one another and we become interdependent with one another. And we begin to give witness to who Jesus is asking us to be in this world. Now, the passage behind me says that those who do not bear fruit, they get cut off. All that really means is is that if you make the conscious decision to not allow Jesus to be the center of your life, and if you make the conscious decision that you don't want to get your meaning, fulfillment, salvation, and life from Jesus, then what you're really doing is that you are cutting yourself off from the one who can give you everything. It's your self-judgment. You make that decision for yourself. On the other hand, Every branch that bears fruit, every one of you who flourishes, who is beginning to show this beauty and joy and peace and forgiveness and mercy and grace as you deal with other people, those of you who bear fruit, what does the passage say that Jesus does or God does to you? He prunes it to make it bear more fruit. You know what pruning is? What is it? When you, like, you, a scientific method of cutting a branch in order for it to bear more fruit. Sometimes there is still pain in your life, even when you are connected to the vine. But when you are connected to the vine, where maybe there was only one cluster of grapes, after you're pruned, there may be five or ten or twelve clusters of grapes. So the more that you are connected, the more that God is able to use you and, and partner with you to make the world that is around you be a better place. Fruit is to be enjoyed. So the more that you are connected to the vine, 
the more fruit you will bear, and you will be that person that everybody wants to be around. Now, some of you are saying to yourselves, well, it seems like no one ever wants to be around me. Maybe you're not connected to the vine. Maybe you're not connected to the vine. As Christians and as believers, we are called to be connected to this vine because what God is asking us to do is to be attractive to other people. And so as the Christians of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Orange, what I'm asking us to do is to be connected to the vine so that we will be an aroma of life and of happiness and of joy to those that we come in contact with. Is that something we can do? That's okay. I'll preach the sermon again next week. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear much fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Everything I've been saying is right there. You can only truly bear fruit. You can only truly live the life of your, of your dreams if you are connected to the vine. Does that sound hard? Does that sound too simple? Or does it sound difficult? Because the truth is, is to truly be connected to the vine means that we must in some ways disconnect ourselves from all the other things that are pulling at our attention. To be truly connected to Christ means that there may be things that we have to say no to that we have been trying to draw life and happiness and joy from. With Jesus, it's all or nothing. You only experience the fullness of God's love and life if you are fully connected to him. John 15, 5 says this, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I abide in them, they bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. So the question would be this, as you're going through your day, what is that thing or who is that person that your mind keeps going to on a daily basis? Let let me give you an example. When you fall in love or you think you fall in love for the first time, you start dating somebody, what does your mind generally do? It thinks about who? That person, right? No? Have you guys never liked someone? Or is that... <laughs> okay. When pastor likes someone for the first time, yeah, your mind is, con- it is continually going back to that person and the next thing you're going to say to them or the next text message, the next witty thing you're going to say. or the thi- we, you know, This is what we do. This is what we're humans. We're hardwired to be with people and to not be alone. This is what we do. But what if your life, what if the thing you thought about the most was how can I live a life that is going to glorify God? How can I bring as much glory to God as possible with the 24 hours that I am given? Does that sound glamorous? Does that sound like, oh, that's, that's what I want to do when I grow up? And yet, thank you for that amen. And yet, it, those of us who have learned, we know that if we glorify God or try to with everything that we do, life is more meaningful and more fulfilling. But you can only truly do that if you are connected to the vine. We're almost, we're almost wrapping up here. But we keep going with this passage. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered together and thrown in the fire and burned. Again, this sounds like judgment. But when you disconnect yourself from the vine, what is there really to do with that branch? There's nothing to do with it. It instantly becomes trash because it dies. 
So if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So really quick, I want to break this passage down for you. How many of you have ever prayed a prayer but you haven't gotten a response that you wanted? All of us. We're all, we've all been there. When all of your attention and all of your intention and your focus goes to connecting to Christ and to glorifying God in everything that you do, then it's not that God will all of a sudden like you more because you are less sinful or because you're a better Christian or whatever. But when you are more in tune with God, then the way you begin to pray begins to change. And it's no longer asking and desiring all of these things that we want that we think will make us happy. But what is a prayer that I've taught you to pray? Lord, may your will be done. And may you allow me to be a part of that. When your prayer reaches that status, then you have truly understood what it means to abide in God. And what that means is that you take your destiny, in essence, and you put it in the hands of the Creator who knows better than yourself. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and that you become my disciples. How is God glorified? Is God glorified when you're perfect? Is God glorified when you're successful? Is God glorified when you, I don't know, when you give 10% of your income to tithe? Is God glorified when you have read the entire Bible? I mean, a little bit. <laughs> a little bit yes to all those questions. But what we find in this passage is that God is glorified when you bear much fruit. And the only way for you to bear fruit, to be loving, kind, generous, compassionate, that's what we mean by bearing fruit, the only way you can do that is to be connected to Christ. God is glorified when you choose God over everything else in your life. That's doable. That's easier. Because if you are connected to God, I, I promise you, I give you my word, God gives you all sorts of clarity on all sorts of things in your life where now you are able to see more clearly and you're able to live the short life that we are given here in a way that is better not only for you but for others and one that glorifies God. Does that make sense? When you purposely connect to the vine, life is better. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in me, in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Why is Jesus telling us all this? Because he wants, your, or he wants his joy to be complete in you. How many of you want to be joyful like Jesus? Does Jesus seem... I know, that's such a corny question to ask. I'm sorry. That sounded bad. That wasn't in my notes, but it came up. <laughs> How many of us want to be like the only guy in history who was betrayed, who was slapped, who was stabbed, who was crucified and mocked, and yet it, like, it never got to him? How many of you have ever had to deal with criticism or people talking behind your back and it just kills you? Jesus dealt with all of that and so, I mean, they killed him. You know, you're still alive. You may feel a little bit dead, but you're still alive. Jesus was literally crucified and yet he never spoke a bad word about anyone. That means that he had joy that was indescribable and inexplicable. 
And you can have that same joy in this life if you are connected to the vine who is Jesus. That is not some corny Christian thing to say. That is the reality of what life is like. For those of you who are a little bit older in age, did life go by pretty quickly? Yeah. Life, when you look back on it, it goes by in an instant. No matter how long all of those class periods felt like they took an eternity or all of those lines you were in in the grocery store and the drive through or all of those commercial breaks in between your favorite shows seem like an eternity. When you look back, life is in an instant. But you carry all of the emotions that come with that to the present what would it be like if we could just say goodbye to all of those past negative experiences and realize that as long as we are connected to Christ, everything will be so much better? Don't we want that? That is not fluff. That is hard to do. But it begins with a simple step of just, of just surrendering your life to Jesus. So Jesus says, I want my joy to be complete in you, and this is how it happens. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this than to lay down his life for one's friends. By the way, these are, if you didn't notice on the bottom, these are all a part of the same what we call pericope. It's just one big entire thought paragraph. So I'm not jumping back and forth. So Jesus is saying, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit and your life will be better and my joy will be in you. And if my joy is in you, then that means that you can overcome anything even the worst of situations and he says and the way you do that is by coming to me but also by what by loving one another and i know i know some of you are like that that is the fluff of the gospel give us the the nitty gritty of what jesus is trying to teach us no this is the nittiest of the grittiest this is because it's not easy to love people it's not easy to love people that love differently than us it's not easy to love people that are into different substances than us. It's not easy to love people that have betrayed you, that have hurt you. It's not easy to love people that are unkind and mean. And yet Jesus says, if you are connected to me, that person that you cannot stand, you're going to love them because you're going to see beyond that exterior and you are going to show them love. I want the Orange Seventh-day Adventist Church to continue to be a church that loves beyond the exteriors of ourselves. Does that make sense? I want us that when people come to this church, I want people to say, you know what? I don't like churches, but I like the Orange SDA church a little bit. (laughs) I want us to be a church that loves everyone because guess what? If people knew what you were really like, they probably wouldn't love you as much as they do now. Is that true for some of you? Not all of you, I know, just like one or two of you. (laughs) If people saw who we really were, we might kind of like, yo, hey, don't let the kids around that guy. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, Like, let's keep them away. But the truth is, is that when we become a church in a place of love, that's evangelism to ourselves. I want this to be a place where we can gather together, worship, and praise God, and where we can actually come together and say we are all a part of the vine. So whatever differences we have, whatever past experiences there have been, whatever hurt feelings there have been, guess what? Jesus already erased that 2,000 years before they happened. 
So now I erase that in my mind as well. And now we can be a church where God's joy is complete in us. And if we can do that well, then the gates of hell do not stand a chance against us. Because in this world, it's about more than just feeling good, but it's about making a difference in the world that is around us. And it's about bringing the message of Jesus everywhere we go. And I think I have one final verse. One final verse. Can we do one more? Oh, we got plenty of time. No, we don't. Here it is. This is a different verse. Jesus says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that testify on my behalf. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So this is how it all wraps up. I said that the most important practice of the Christian faith is to marinate in the Word of God. And what I mean by the Word of God is what Jesus and the Bible writers talk about the Word of God, and that is the person of Jesus. So many of us know all these Bible verses, but I have met some people that know Bible verses that are very mean. That's not what was intended. The Bible is only good. Now listen to this. The Bible is only good if it points you to the person of Jesus. If it does anything other than that, you're misusing the Bible. If it doesn't point you to Jesus and teach you about the person of God and how God has been faithful to us, then you're misusing what the Bible is meant for. So just like a good steak or chicken or potato or tofu, it is my prayer that you would learn to just let Scripture marinate in your heart and in your soul. And one of the ways to do that, as I said last week, is memorize Scripture. Not because it makes you better. But because when your mind is set on the things that are good, pure, and holy, it changes the way you interact with other people. And you'll begin to notice that the joy of Christ will be made so complete in you that it'll make all of the difference. And whatever goes on around you won't matter because you have the joy of Christ that is within you.